I invite you to turn to Ephesians chapter 5. The reason I'm telling you that is because we have a lot of ground to cover today. And we're going to cover it. But we're going we're gonna to do everything we can. Uh, so I'm going to stick with the script and we're going to give God praise through his word. And, uh, and have a good time in that. So I'm excited. Among us today, whether you're aware of it or not, if you look around, you will easily notice that we are saturated with married couples here today. And I need some interaction from our married couples today. Uh, so that means I'm going to be asking you a question and I need some response. Okay? So just be warming up to the idea because what I need to know is what is your song? And what I mean by that is maybe maybe your song that was y'all's first dance or your first kiss or that song that just defined our relationship or whatever it is. What is your song that when it comes on the radio, you turn it up and you look at your spouse and you're like, hey, honey. And, and your wife, like mine, rolls her eyes. I've heard that said before, behind every good man is a woman rolling her eyes and it's very accurate. So what, what, what was your song? Just call it out. Endless love. May I have this dance for the rest of my life. Somebody over here? Can't help falling in love. Somebody says something about you're my heart. You're in my heart. All right. You give love a bad name. <laughs> yeah. That's Bobby's wife for the record. All right, somebody over here. I will be here. So what's that? When a man loves a woman. Somebody said something else. Amazed. Oh, getting Lone Star in here. Yes, sir. What'd you say? Yay, Alabama. Yes, yes, there's so many love songs. It's our songs. It defines us. And I, uh, I actually said, you know, I, I went online and I said, you know, I'm going to look up the 50 greatest love songs. And like everything else on the internet, nobody agreed on anything. So I just kind of went, wrote the ones down. Some of these were already called out. Uh, in 1981, Diana Ross and Lionel Richie told us about that endless love that somebody talked about. Uh, some, hey, here, here's the thing. Everybody clap your hand once. All right, very good. If I call out a song, and at any point in time, this was a song that was like, oh, that was special to me and my, my spouse, just clap once, okay? If you understand, clap. Very good. All right, so if I call out a song, be like, hey, that was us too. All right, so there was Endless Love. There was a, a song by the Bee Gees called How Deep Is Your Love. Um, here we go. Of course, now you've always got I Will Always Love You. And you can go with Dolly or with Whitney. Uh, you got some options there. Now you can go a little bit further back you got a song called to know him is to love him all right that came out in 1958 so if you clapped you're like i was just warming my hands this wasn't really me it's all good how about roses are red okay all right there we go not violets or blue it's not a poem it was actually a song parentheses my love uh of course you got roxette who said it must have been love uh back in 1990 um now you could go with elvis or ub40 when we talk about how you can't help falling in love Somebody called out, and I don't know if anybody called this one out. This is just a classic. I mean, have you ever heard an unchained melody? Ah, yeah, absolutely. That's what I'm talking about. Uh, old Stevie, he couldn't see, but he sure could talk when he said he just called to say that he loves you. Um, Leona Lewis couldn't stop bleeding love. Um, now, this is kind of categorical. Um, if you're Celine, the power of love was one of those sappy songs. But if you're Huey Lewis in the news, it was a cool song. You know what I mean? So there could be the power of love. Could have been with Celine talking about how her heart will go on. Um, of course, you got Elvis declaring that just love me tender. That's all he asked. It wasn't very much. Um, Journey talked about how we should love each other with faithfully or open arms. Okay, we'll go with both. That was like multiple classes. And they're like, oh, I love Journey. Um, of course, Percy Sledge. Told us a story about when a man loves a woman. Cindy Lauper said it was time after time after time. It was amazing. All of these incredible love songs throughout history. And there's so many more. There's so many more just with the people in the room. Uh, and, it's, and it's so much fun to look back and to hear those old love songs. Or when they come on the radio with our spouse or something. It's just fun. But you know, the bad thing about a love song is after about three and a half minutes, 
it's over. Maybe some go longer, maybe some go shorter. If you listen to Meatloaf, they're like 12 minutes, you know. But, but inevitably, that love song, it ends. And, and, and the same thing, that if you just keep listening to that same song over and over and over, and over eventually, and you're going to get tired of it, you know. So that's why as we get started on this marriage series, I want us to understand that as we look at our marriages and as we talk about the depth of our marriages and what we have in them, that they're greater than love songs. Also, when you come to church and you talk about marriage, everybody kind of covers it over with this. Well, everybody's happily married and we're just going to be blissful. Guys, marriage is hard. Marriage is hard and it takes work. When we talk about marriage, the next four weeks, when we talk about marriage, we're talking about marriage. This ain't a love song we're talking about. We're talking about the nitty gritty depth of marriage. So this ain't a love song. This is marriage. This is a covenant union that we're talking about here. It's more than a love song. It's a lot harder than that. And let me tell you why. Here's some statistics on marriages today in the United States. Divorce rates are actually down from 50%, which is good. They peaked at 50%, but now they're not by much. It's 42 to 45% of marriages end in divorce. The average lifespan of a marriage is eight years from wedding to the finalization of divorce. The most common years for divorce in a marriage are between years one and two and years five through eight. The seventh year of marriage is supposedly the hardest, but of course that changes based on life situations. The number one reason for divorce is infidelity. Apart from infidelity, quote, the absence of sexual intimacy is the leading contributor to divorce. I point that stat out because the next stat says 15 to 20 percent of married couples are in a sexless marriage by choice. The good news is that the divorce percentages are on the decline. They've been declining slowly over the last five to ten years. As of 2016, both marriage rates and divorce rates were lower. Millennials are actually helping the numbers out dramatically. They're waiting longer before they get married and they're staying staying together longer. So millennials are actually helping us out there and I'm thankful for that. But on average in America, a divorce, if you take all the divorces and and map them out, a divorce happens every 13 seconds. Which means there's about nine divorces during the time it takes for a married couple to recite their vows to one another. If we had a normal service in terms of a beginning of a sermon to the end, there will be about 162 divorces take place in that time span. This is the numbers of divorces. Church marriage, marriage is in trouble. We know this. This isn't news to us. But the fact of the matter is that if we recognize something that's going on all around us, we, the church, need to be the first ones to step up and continually respond to that with truth. And that's where we'll be over the next few weeks is talking about God's truth in relation to our marriages. But before we start... I'm going to lay down some ground rules. Now, these ground rules are going to roll over, okay? So we're going to lay down some ground rules so we talk about this. I want everybody to be on the same foundation before we start building on it. Here we go. I know, I know that not everyone here is married. I know we have students and children who have never been married. I know we have people here who are divorced. I know we have people here whose spouses have passed on. But the fact of the matter is, everybody in this room has been impacted by marriage. You have seen it because of your parents. You have seen it because of your grandparents or some dear friends of yours that are married. We are all impacted and influenced by the divorce, by the marriages that we have seen up close and personal, okay? So when we talk about marriage, I want us to know that we're all kind of encompassed in this idea. Your ideas of marriage were shaped by what you witnessed firsthand, all right? And we all have different marital statuses in this room. But I want to point all of us that as we begin in in Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to get to it later. I just want to go ahead and tell you that one of the main points in Ephesians chapter 5 is found in verse 32. Verse 32 of chapter 5 says this, this is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. Christ and the church. 
So some of you might have already been thinking, oh man, we're in a marriage series. I'm a teenager. I'm divorced. My spouse has passed away. How This doesn't apply to me. I might just kind of bail. Understand this. What we're going to be talking about here over the next several weeks in context of marriage is ultimately pointing to our relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And last time I checked, regardless of your marital status, that applies to you. Because God's word always applies to everyone. It is truth. So when we approach the word of God, as we approach this marriage series, understand this, that we're talking about the relationship with God through Christ with us. Now, here's the thing. If you are married... If you're in a marriage relationship, then as we talk about these biblical truths, you are going to have to apply them in a dual meaning. You're going to apply them in the context of your relationship with God through Christ, and you're also going to apply these truths in the context of your marital relationship, okay? If you are not in a marital relationship, this is still truth for you because you're applying it in the context of your relationship with God through Jesus Christ. So as we lay down these ground rules, as we talk about marriage, we are talking about husband and wives, but we're ultimately talking about the relationship we have with God the Father through Christ, who is the head of the church, church, whose bride is the church. So I want us to understand that. So just to make myself clear, when we walk through this series and all of this, understand we're talking about our relationship with God the Father and how he loves us and how we're called to love him. But if we're married, we're also looking at it in that context. Are y'all with me so far? Okay, good. There's a few more ground rules and we'll get started this morning. When we talk about marriage, I want you to understand we're talking about the biblical truth of marriage. We are talking about God's definition of marriage. We're talking about marriage between a man and a woman. Because we do not build our lives based on what the world is telling us. We build our lives on the truth of God's word. And God's word is that marriage is between a man and a woman. God's idea, marriage was God's idea, church. So if we're going to expect to glorify God in our marriages, it needs to be based on how God laid it out. Let's take it a step further. So if you are not married, if you are not in a marriage relationship right now, As we just said, we're talking about your relationship with God the Father through Christ. But I need you to also understand that God's word is very plain and clear that if you're not in a marriage relationship, whether you're a student or whether you're an adult, you are not to be practicing the benefits that come with a marriage relationship. That is sexually, that is emotionally, that's even geographically. These things are not for you. The things, with a lot of the things that we talk about in the context of husband and wife marriage, you do not have the right to be a part of that if you are not in a marriage relationship. This is not me coming down on you. I'm trying to tell you what God's word is pointing us to. You surrender to the truth of God. We just said that we're going to build everything we talk about based on the definition of marriage as established by God. Well, if we submit to that, then we are also going to submit to the definition of singleness established by God. We're not going to play both sides of the fence here. If you're not in a marriage relationship, then a lot of these things are not meant for you to be practicing with a member of the opposite sex. Understand that. Regardless of your definition of sexual, it's hands off. Now, if you are single... What I'm kind of explaining to you, what I mean by geographically, you shouldn't be living with somebody that's not your spouse. In the world in which we live in, it's very common. It's, it's most commonplace practice. Well, it's kind of a practice for marriage to see if we get along. I was kind of led to believe that marriage is a step of faith. That you just, you're either all in or you're, you're still on the side of the pool. It's not a marriage. It's not a what? A marriage is something that is exclusive to a husband and wife. You shouldn't be living together. You shouldn't be having sleepovers. You shouldn't be having spend the night parties. Well, Justin, I'm a grown adult and I can do what I want. You're right. You are a grown adult. But you know what else you are? You're a child. You're a child of God. And we just declared that with our lips. And if we're not going to walk out and do it with our lifestyle, then shh. 
understand that what we're talking about here is what God has created for us to do. And if you're not in a marriage relationship, whether you're dating or whether you're on the other side of debt, whatever it is, you don't have the right to be practicing these things that God intended to happen in the context of marriage. If you give me $50 and you take me to Dunkin' Donuts or the ice cream store or a chocolate shop, you know what's going to happen. I'm going to get fat. Do you know why? Because you just put me in an environment filled with things that I like and gave me the means to access them. That don't mean it's good for me. I'm not going to walk into an ice cream shop with $50 every day and think, I'm going to glorify God with how I live, how I use my body. It ain't going to, at some point in time, that double dip chocolate chip cookie dough everything and you know what i'm saying ethan you with me i say you know you know what i'm talking about it's just too good to refuse in the same context people if you are in a non-marriage relationship and you consistently put yourself into the environment of sexual temptation you are not going you're going to be lying to yourself and believing but i'm still going to glorify god with how i conduct and use my body in this relationship you're walking right into it And over and over and over again, God's word says, flee from sexual immorality. Don't put yourself in those situations. Flee from temptation. What did we see Joseph do in the Old Testament? When there was temptation, he took off running. The lady grabbed his cloak and he said, whoa, I'm not even going to, I'm out of here because I'm fleeing from it. Get away from it. One step further, more ground rules. If you are in a marriage relationship, and you are practicing the principles that we're going to be talking about over the next four weeks with someone other than your spouse, you are in sin. That is not me casting judgment. It is the truth of God's word. And I tell you this because I'm also telling you the follow-up. God's design for you is love and grace and mercy and forgiveness and restoration. If you're a guy in this room and what we talk about you're practicing with someone other than your wife, I will walk with you out of that relationship and back into fullness into a relationship with you. Call me, text me, see me after church and say, I need help. I will walk with you. There are godly men in this room that will say, I will help. I will walk beside you. If you're a lady and you're involved in a relationship that is not one with your husband, even emotionally, ladies, where you're emotionally drawn to another man, you have got to get away from that. And there are godly women in this room that will walk with you out of that into the fullness of a restoration in your marriage. I say that because ladies, you need ladies. Guys, you need guys. It shouldn't cross the lines there. All right? So just know that God is waiting for you to experience that restoration in your marriage. Don't wait. Don't wait. I think, I think that about covers our ground rules, but I reserve the right to come back and add to some later if I come up with, with more, okay? Yep. So that's, that's you're about ready to get started now? Yep. All right. Where was that? Oh, this, this ain't a love song. All right, turn to Ephesians 5, and let's dive in. We're going to start in verse 21. There's a lot to go over today, so I'm going to just talk fast. So here we go, Ephesians 5, verse 21. It says, Submit to one another... Out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as this church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church, 
for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. As we walk through this text, we're actually going to start at the end and work our way backwards through this text in order that we can fully grasp what Paul is trying to to give us a glimpse of here. So what I want you to understand that, again, we see it in verse 32, Paul is talking about the relationship between the church and God through Christ. Christ being the head of the church, Christ is the groom, church is the bride. So he's pointing us to this. This is what he's talking about here is the ultimate picture of of marriage, the gospel. The gospel is the ultimate, excuse me, marriage is the ultimate illustration of the gospel. When you see this, when you pointed this, this is kind of what he's trying to show us to, is to give us a tangible context to understand the love God has given us. Now here's the thing, I know you're not a perfect spouse, You know what, maybe I need to say that again. You're not a perfect spouse, okay? You're not a perfect spouse. And for those of you who just nudged your spouse and said, you need to listen to that, you're not either. Stop pointing fingers, okay? You're not a perfect spouse. You are not a perfect spouse. You need to hear that this morning. But your desire to love your spouse should reflect the desire Christ has for his love for the church. Your desire to love your spouse should reflect the desire Christ has in loving his church. This is the gospel. That Christ loved the church. That Christ gave himself up for his bride. Not because she was worthy. Not because she was pretty. Not because she was flawless and perfect. But because she was the opposite of all that. Yet he chose to willingly lay down his life for her so that we might have fellowship with God. Christ loved you that much so that you may be restored into the fullness of a relationship with God that he laid down his life so that you could be one with the Father. This is a perfect love. This is the gospel. Paul is writing here, That your life, that your marriage should be a clear explanation of the lost of how Christ loves us. About how God loves us. You've heard those stories, you've seen those sappy movies that are like, I just wish we had a love like theirs. I just wish our relationship looked like that. I wish our marriage reflected that. Exactly. Lost people who have no idea who Jesus is because they don't have him as savior of their life should look at your marriage and say, I wish I had a love like that. And you look at them and say, oh, but you can. And his name is Jesus. That's what your marriage is intent for. That is the purpose. That is the illustration of your marriage to point the lost to how Jesus loves them. That is the purpose of marriage. That's what Paul is writing about here. And if you're sitting there again thinking, I wish my, I, I hope my spouse is hearing this. That's how he should love me. That's how she should love me. If that's what you're thinking this, you are completely in the wrong. Because we can only allow and expect God to change us. And if you're sitting there trying to fix everyone else around you or trying to fix the people in your life, that their marriage is all kind of messed up. They need to be hearing this. That might be your indication that you're running from something that's called conviction that God's trying to point out in your life and say, why don't you open me, open your life to me? God knows what they need. God knows what your spouse needs. God knows what your whatever needs. Let God deal with you in the area of this. Paul tells us in verse 30, he says this, for we are members of his body, his being Christ, Christ being the head of the church. Lest we never forget, church, that we are connected to God the Father through Jesus Christ. Y'all know what it means to be connected? Joined? Not separated, not apart? We are connected. For the Christian, for the Christian, you, you really don't have a lot of groundwork to say, I just, you know, God's just so far away from me right now. No, he's not. You're connected to him through Christ. Why? Because you are his body. You're the body of Christ. Christ is the head of the church. You're connected to God the Father. 
You're connected to him through being the body of Christ. Paul tells us, he reminds us in Romans 8, that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Nothing. And it's because we're his body. Earlier, Terrence, you baptized two of our incredible young men up here earlier. Did y'all see them get baptized? When they went baptized, did y'all see somebody's hand like... Did y'all see that? No, you didn't? When they came in the water, did you see somebody like kind of hopping in and be like, don't let my leg get wet now? And they went under and their leg was sticking up in the air? Well, that'd be awkward, wouldn't it? You didn't see one of those guys pluck his eye out and say, oh, I don't want this to get underwater. Hey. You know what happened? When they got baptized, their whole body went under. Their leg, their arm, their eye, the entirety of their body went under and was baptized and raised to new life. Because when we are part of the body of Christ, we experience everything together. When we are united to each other through Christ, we move together. The same blood of Jesus covers our sin. The same baptism that washes us new is the same baptism we experience being a part of the body of Christ. We are together. We are members of his body. Christ's life is our life, which means that Christ's love is our love. So when you as a spouse get worn down and be like, I just don't have any more love to give, praise the Lord. Because you're connected to Christ, you have an ocean of water at your utter grasp, within grasp, that you lean on the love of Christ to wash over your marriage. I don't have anything else to give. Jesus never runs out. Lean on Jesus. You're connected to him through being the body of Christ. This is Paul is pointing us to. You are the body. We are members of his body. So when Paul writes, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, this is an achievable reality because of the access you have to the love of Jesus. You ever thought about that? Being members of the body of Christ, you're connected to the love of Christ. You're connected to God the Father through Jesus. Yes, you are going to run out of yourself. You know why? Because you're human. But that's also by the part of the joy of being united with Christ and the body of Christ is that we have access to the fullness of Christ and his love and his life that we can pour out on others. We're part of the body of Christ. He has given us what we need and shown us what we need just when we needed it. Paul says in verse 28 and 29 that men should love their wives as their own bodies. And you might read that and think, well, that's pretty selfish. That's pretty narcissistic of Paul to write that. But that's not who he's talking about here. He's he's talking about the normalcy of self-preservation. So men, particularly those who have kind of tuned out already, because I've gone longer than three minutes, listen to me. Men, I need a little interaction time with our men, okay? You with me, men? Men, what do you do when you are hungry? What do you do when you are tired? What do you do when your shoes are uncomfortable? What would you say, Chuck? Change them. What do you do if you feel threatened? Y'all are hearing it from the mouths, man. You fight. Defend yourself. You know, hunker down. What do you do if you have a toothache? Rip it out. You a lie. Men, what do you do if you have a toothache? Go to the dentist. Like now, right? Like you're taking your lunch break to go to the dentist. You know what I mean? Guys, you naturally are really good at taking care of yourself, aren't you? But it's not just survival. We're not talking about like you're really good at making sure you survive. We're talking about how you preserve not just your, your survival. You preserve your comfort too, don't you? Isn't that what you do? Isn't that what you just said? I didn't say, hey, what happens if you have a toothache? I didn't hear a man say, well, what I'm going to do is go home and I'm going to talk about it with my wife, make sure she understands what's going on. I'm going to take a couple of Advil. We're going to, you know, check over the financial expenses and see if it's reasonable for us to go to the dentist to see if we can. Nobody went into all that. Everybody's like, I'm going to dentist. I'm going to get it fixed. Because we don't need somebody to tell us how to take care of ourselves, men. And again, it's not just for our survival. It's for our comfort. It's for the basic things that we recognize as needs in our lives. Men, what Paul just said here is loving 
your wife should be just as natural as loving yourself. And I'm not talking about survival. I'm talking about comfort. I'm talking about the things that you naturally are good at taking care of yourself on. That's how you should love your wife. That when she's hungry, you recognize I'm going to get her something to eat. That when she has a need, you are rising to take care of it. Loving your wife should not be a chore or a burden, men. It shouldn't. And if it is, you love yourself more than you love your wife. It says that men is is called to love as their own bodies. You should provide for her. You should protect her. You should take an interest in her needs. Ladies, your needs. Not your Christmas list. (laughs) Men should take an interest in your needs. Men, you should take her to the dentist. If it's good enough for you, you should look for better for your wife. This is what Paul is calling us to when he says, love your wives as your own bodies. But Justin, how do I love her? Well, if you're not taking care of, if you're not providing, if you're not doing these things for her, you're probably running into some some roadblocks in the context of being able to love your wife. But what did Paul say? How should we love her? Just as Christ loves the church. In a word, men, sacrificially. Sacrificially. That means whatever it is, there is no cost greater than loving your wife. You know how I know that? Because if it says that I'm to love my wife as Christ does the church. Well, let's look at how Christ loves the church. To Christ, his bride is the most single most important thing on this earth. Let me say that one more time. To Christ, His bride is the single most important thing on this earth. More than football or your team, more than your salary, more than your comfort, more than what you have planned to do. His wife, the bride of Christ, is the single most important thing to God on this earth. And you're called to love your wife as Christ loves the church. Nothing on earth compares to his bride. Christ died to redeem his bride. He yearns to provide for his bride. He longs for the day to be reunited in fullness with his bride. Men, you get off work. Are you looking for somewhere to go so you don't have to go home? Nothing is too good for the bride of Christ in the eyes of Jesus. Nothing is too good for her. She is the love of his life. This is how you're called to love your wife. It should be the same way between a man and his wife. That his bride is the single most important thing on this earth. Men, you have no right to use your wife's shortcomings or failures or weaknesses as a reason to not love her. You have no right. Her past failures, any reason, you have no right to use that as an excuse to not love her. Men, let me ask you a question and don't answer this out loud and don't answer it to your wife because she might want an answer. When you look at your wife, what do you see? Don't answer it out loud. Somebody about to get themselves way over it. Hush. (laughs) Think about it, men. When you look at your wife, what do you see? Is she perfect? No, she's not perfect. Does she have weaknesses? Yeah, she has weaknesses. Does she have blemishes? This is why I told you to hush. (laughs) Maybe. But let's look at the bride of Christ and how Jesus sees her. Is the church perfect? No. Does she have weaknesses? Oh, absolutely. Does she have blemishes? For sure. Has she had failures? More than we can count. But here's, here's the beauty of what Paul's pointing us to here. See, when Christ, when Christ looks at his church, he doesn't see her for what she is. Christ sees her for what she will be. Christ sees her for how she was created 
and who she was created to be. Christ doesn't see the blemishes and the weaknesses and the failures and the imperfections. He doesn't see that because he sees what he's making her. Because of his love for her. I tell you these things. Hey, is your wife perfect? No. Does she have weaknesses? Absolutely. Does she have blemishes? Of course. Has she had failures? Men, have you? But you're going to remember that when you look at her? Look at how Jesus sees his bride. She's worse than all these things that you might want to check off for your wife. But you got to understand that when she's had failures, Christ had none and yet loved her this much. You have many and you choose to withhold your love from her. Love as Christ loved the church. He sees her for what he's making her. Men, men, what is your love transforming your wife into? What is the, how is the way you're loving your wife transforming her into something better? This is the question. Look, look at your wife, men. Look at your wife. That is the same woman that walked down an aisle to you. And on that day, I assure you, you would have said she has no weaknesses, she has no failures, no flaws, no blemishes. She is absolutely perfect. And your perception might have changed over the last few years. But understand this, that is the same woman that you stood next to and promised God to love her until the end of your life. You promised God to love her until the end of your life. And it's time, men, to get back to loving your wife like that. Because that's what God has called you to do and be. And if you are not married and you have a desire to be married, you better not. You bet this is the standard, ladies and gentlemen, that you better not accept any person who is living less than this because you're worth it. Because you are made in the image of God and he knows what you deserve. Men, love your wife as Christ loves the church. See your wife as Christ sees the church. And understand that your love for her should be transformational as you love her with the gospel, as you love her with the love that comes from the abundance of knowing Christ Jesus as Lord. Look at what he says here in verses 25 through 27. This is exactly what Paul is talking about here. A transformational love that Christ has given us through his love to us. Men, I'm not beating you up here today. I'm trying to reestablish a standard in your marriage that you should be living to that comes from the word of God. Trust me. Trust me. You're only getting it once. I've been getting this for about two weeks now. There's plenty of reason to walk away defeated, but that is not the purpose of God's word. God's word is not to defeat us. It is to equip us to walk and live victoriously. So church, let us embrace this and move forward with how God has loved us and created us and instilled in us his love. Now, ladies, let's talk about you for a few minutes. Yeah, we're going to talk a long time about the men. You know why? Because there's eight verses in there about men. There's only three for y'all. But you're not off the hook, okay? And before we even get started, we're going to talk about a couple of things. And I get it. I don't get it because I've never lived as a woman. I never will for the record. <laughs> hey, for, in the door we live in, some people would not be able to answer that. I understand the Me Too movement. I understand gender equality. I understand feminism. I get it in terms of how I can read it and understand it as a man. And yes, verse 22 says, Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. But hold your role. I Just calm down. Don't light the torches yet. Because if you're just holding that one verse and be like, uh-uh, uh-uh, don't be t- God didn't understand feminine qualities. You were made in his image. He gets it. He calls you to it. But I need you to understand something. I want you to understand that first thought, verse 22 doesn't stand on its own. Matter of fact, no scripture stands on its own. Every piece of scripture leans on the truth that is found in God's word. They all support one another. If you take one and try to manipulate it to try to play out an agenda, you will be abusing God's word. And you will stand before God for that, by the way. Don't walk into that stupid, stupidity of a trap. Understand this. We're going to look at what God's word says to the women. 
In verse 22, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands. The word husbands there in the Greek in the New Testament is a word called anir. It's one of the words in the New Testament translated as man. So literally what it's saying here is wives, submit yourselves to your man. It is a masculine title. It is an honorable title. Wives, submit yourselves to your man. Ladies, you love Jesus? You know, when you go and you study God's word and you follow the gospel account of Jesus' life, Jesus had a lot of interactions with women. But there's one very unique occurrence all throughout those reactions and interactions with women. Every woman you see in the New Testament, their interaction with Jesus, man, they treated him like a king. I mean, think about it. The woman at the well. A Samaritan who's supposed to hate a Jewish man. They're not even supposed to have any type of interaction with him. What was there there? There was, there was respect. There was humility. And the more Jesus spoke, the more awe she had for him. What about the, the woman caught in adultery? Jesus said, hey, whoever's sinless, cast the first stone. And they all walked away, and it was just Jesus and her left standing there. And he says, hey, where are your accusers? I don't see any of them, including me. What happened when he, when he went in the house and Mary and Martha were there? How did they respond to him? How did they treat him? Respect, honor, and awe of him. These women cried and washed his feet with their tears and dried it with their hair. These women loved Jesus, they would kiss him on the cheek. Remember the woman who was suffering from 12 years bleeding? Oh, Jesus was her hope. All she wanted to do is touch the hem of his garment because that's how much she knew and believed in who he was. All throughout the New Testament, every interaction Jesus had with women, there was humility and respect. Men, you can't say that about men. Men treated Jesus like garbage, but the women treated Jesus honorably because they loved him. They respected him. They submitted to him because he was a man. I know I said we're talking about the women, but men, don't don't go to sleep. Because this Greek word, anir, says, wives, submit to your man. Now, men, don't expect submission if you're not acting like a man. And when I say man, I'm not talking about how many trees you can chop down or how many beers you can drink. When I say man, I'm talking about being a man of God. Because until you're a man of God, I submit that you're not worthy of being submitted to. And neither am I. I'm not pointing fingers here, guys. I'm a husband too. I'm a child of God too. And I get it wrong every single day. But when we look at this, when we look at how these women recognized Jesus for the man he was, they submitted to him because that is exactly who we're called and created to be as a year, as men. Men, open your eyes to what the word is calling you to be. When you are a man of God, I made a list. You were created in his image. When you demonstrate the traits of Jesus and how you love and serve your wife, you live a life worthy of respect and submission. When you reflect Christ in your lifestyle, when you act like a man, your wives will submit to how Christ is leading you. Because it is what their soul was created to do, was to follow Christ. And when you, being the head of the household being a child connected to the body of Christ and the, the love of Christ, the truth of Christ is flowing through you into your wife. There is nothing that's going to fulfill her more than submitting and following your Christian leadership as a man of God. And until you're there, don't be expecting your wife to submit. But when you are living out the image in whose you are created as a man of God, they will desire to submit to you. Because ladies, you just said, you love the Lord your God. And we see ladies who love the Lord their God, respected and followed him because that was the man they were following. Wives, submit to your man as you do to the Lord. And men, live Christ. So wrapping up, 
I know we've been working ourselves backwards. I want us to start at the bookends, verses 21 and 23. We see the theme of this entire passage in these two verses. We see love and submission. Verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Verse 33, however, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself. And the wife must respect her husband What Paul is getting us to, what God is pointing us to here, that a Christ-centered marriage is mutual submission to one another as you both submit to Jesus. That's what he's pointing us to here. He kind of culminates that at the end. He says, man, you are called to love your wife and submit to her out of reverence for Christ. I don't want to make it weird. But men, basically, when you go in and you talk to your wife, just visualize Jesus standing right next to her. And how are you going to talk to her knowing that? How are you going to treat her knowing that Christ is present in your marriage? And women, it says the wife must respect her husband. Ladies, you're called to respect your husband. And if you're sitting there thinking, well, he isn't worthy of respect. Well, maybe you're not either. Because God's word doesn't say, if he's worthy of respect, respect your husband. This is a command of God. It's not based on how you feel about it. It says, wives, respect your husbands. It doesn't leave room for our interpretations. It's God's word. And let me ask you this question. You think, you think if you started doing these things in your marriage, you think you started practicing these things to your spouse, to loving them sacrificially, to submitting to their needs over yours, to respect your husbands, to love your wives like Christ loves the church. Do you think, you think if we started doing this in our marriages, or in your marriage, do you think Christ might be a little more visible? Isn't it worth a try? I invite you to bow your heads. In the next, uh, in the next several weeks, we're going to be looking at the three main issues that contribute to a, a healthy marriage or contribute to a disastrous marriage. We're going to be talking about communication, money, and intimacy. And I encourage you over the next several weeks, I encourage you to be here. I encourage you to be here with your spouse But as we acknowledge truth found in God's word, practice these things in your marriage. Even today, would you be willing to live out what God is commanding you in the context of your relationship with your spouse? Would you be willing to live out what God is commanding you in your relationship with him? This ain't a love song. This is a covenant union. It's God's word. A healthy marriage all starts with your relationship with God. Do you have one? Maybe your marriage is all over the map because you have no relationship with the author and perfecter of love. And maybe you're ready to give your marriage one more chance by saying, God, I'll give you a chance to show me what this is about in our relationship. For some of you men and women, your marriage is struggling because your heart has turned cold to the Lord. Do not sit there and think about, well, this is what my husband needs. This is what my wife needs. We're talking about you. Let Jesus, let God work with you. Where's your heart and your relationship with him? When was the last time you loved your wife as Christ loved the church? Wives, when was the last time you poured out the love of Jesus that you have access to by being a part of the body of Christ, poured that love out all over your husband? What are you waiting for? We all say we want better marriages. God's given us a way how. What are you waiting for? After we pray, we're going to stand and sing. And I'm going to be down here. If I can pray with you in any way, it would be my honor. 
if you want to know what it means to have a relationship with Jesus, I would love to introduce you to him. If you've been disobedient in your marriage, grab your wife and come to the altar and pray. Sit down where you are and pray. Let God have access, full access to your heart and your marriage. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much, God, that as we talked about marriage and husbands and wives, God, we got to get back to the fact that you're talking about our relationship with you through Christ. God, thank you for loving us that much. Thank you for not seeing our flaws and our faults and our failures. Thank you for redeeming us. And God, thank you for giving us an example of how we show the lost, how you love them, and we can live that out in our marriages. So God, I pray that you you crush my pride and anything stopping me from loving my wife like that. And I pray the same for any man in this room that's married that professes Jesus as Lord. And I pray the same for the young men and young women of our church who will one day walk down an aisle and will one day be at the end of an aisle waiting that God, that man and that woman is what they are hoping for and nothing less. So God, however you're calling us to live out our faith in you by showing the love of Christ, if it's in our marriage relationship, God, begin today doing a work and making it better than it's ever been. For those in this room that still want to disqualify themselves because they're not in a marital relationship, Father, show them the beauty of the divine salvation that comes through Jesus Christ and the relationship you have for them through this. God, may their wellspring of joy come overflowing because of their desired love to give back to you. God, whatever it is, find us faithful to respond in obedience even now. As we stand and sing, God, be glorified. Amen.